to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, last week and in our contemplation of the Lord's transfiguration, we noted that in Jesus' transfiguration, we catch a glimpse of his divine glory and how this glory is the very glory he desires to share with his body, the church. Moreover, we discussed how the transfiguration of Christ's body demands that each individual member of his body be likewise transfigured in him. At first glance, these may seem strange things to say. But it makes more sense when we consider that the Son of God had no need of a human nature, or anything else for that matter, as from all of eternity he is God from God, completely happy in himself. This necessarily leads us to the conclusion that his assumption of a human nature was done for us, taking on all that is ours in order that we might partake of all that is his. This is the magnanimous gesture on the part of our loving God that stands solidly at the center of the Christian faith today as it has from the beginning. To say that in the transfiguration we catch a glimpse of God's intention for the human creature is but a different way of saying what the fathers of the church all say in one form or another. That God became man, that man might become God. A slew of nuances would be needed to parse out what that phrase means so that it doesn't lead us astray. But what is important for us to keep in mind as we continue our walk with Christ is that the transfiguration we witnessed last weekend is the end for which we have all been created. However, as we emphasized last weekend, whereas this underlying reality was somehow always present within the human nature of Christ, because it was hypostatically united to the second person of the Trinity, for us, this is a process that will take an entire lifetime and will only be perfected in eternity, as the parable of the treasure in the field reminded us a couple of weeks ago. What's more, this transfiguration cannot happen of our own volition or under our own power, as we saw last week but can only happen through the action of God's grace in us. Thus, it is imperative that the purpose of the human creature revealed to us in Christ remain in focus day to day, and that we live in the faith that God's continual caring presence is with us in order to bring this end about by the working of the Holy Spirit. It is this attentive divine love that lies at the heart of our readings this weekend. The celebration of the Feast of the Transfiguration took precedence over the regular flow of Sunday celebrations. Thus, we have skipped over, as it were, the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I bring this up because the Gospel reading for the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time for Cycle A, which we are making our way through this year, is Matthew's version of the Feeding of the 5,000. The importance of knowing this will become more apparent after we have set the proper contextual stage for ourselves today. In order to do this, we will have to expand our textual area of investigation beyond that heard from the pews. When we expand the textual area, we find that there is a common experience being had by the individuals we meet today, and this common experience is fear. 
This is readily apparent in our gospel reading for today from the 14th chapter of Matthew's gospel. We are told that as the disciples made their way across the sea, their boat was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. There's a lot going on here. A severe storm on sea is taking place, which would be enough to scare most of us. Although being expert seamen, perhaps the disciples were a bit used to dealing with this situation. But if the fear of capsizing wasn't enough to scare them, the appearance of a ghost certainly was. In sum, we have the group of disciples on a boat in the middle of a stormy lake, confronted by what they think is a ghost and have nowhere to run. It is not too much of a stretch to suggest that they were, no doubt, in fear of losing their lives in one way or another. Let's leave them here a second and go check in in our other episode for today. Our first reading comes from the 19th chapter of the book of 1 Kings. There, we meet up with someone we spoke about last week, the prophet Elijah. As we noted last week, Elijah is one of the foremost prophets in the history of Israel, and he paid dearly for his efforts. Just prior to where we meet up with him today, the famous episode of Elijah triumphing over the prophets of Baal had just taken place, an episode which ends with the death of all the prophets of the idol at the command of Elijah. Elijah's triumph on God's behalf, however, quickly brings him trouble. The reason is that the king and queen of the northern kingdom of Israel at the time were none other than Ahab and the infamous Jezebel, whose god was Baal. Thus, when Ahab tells Jezebel that Elijah had killed the prophets of Baal, Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah with the following communication. So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. We are then told that out of fear, Elijah got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. Thus, Elijah, like the disciples in today's gospel, finds himself in fear of losing his life. The difference is Elijah is not stranded on the sea, and so he runs. Where he runs and for how long will break open the scriptures for us today. After a day's journey into the wilderness, Elijah sits down underneath a solitary broom tree. There, exhausted and no doubt afraid that he will never be able to outrun the wrath of the king and queen, Elijah prays to God for death, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then Elijah lies down, awaiting death. The detail of the broom tree is significant. You see, a broom tree isn't much of a tree at all, but it is one of the only bushes that grows in the Nagab Desert surrounding Beersheba. Thus, the broom tree provides much-needed shade to travelers, however little. At this point, we might recall another episode of individuals wandering through the desert. In chapter 21 of Genesis, we are told that Hagar and Ishmael wander through the very same desert we are following Elijah through after having been cast away from Abraham's family. And like Elijah, Hagar wanders for a while and then has nothing left and nowhere to go and fears for her life and the life of her son, Ishmael. Facing such dire prospects, we are told that Hagar places Ishmael under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite of him a good way off, for she said, Do not let me look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Both of these individuals experience extreme pain and distress 
in their respective situations. At this point, Elijah must feel forsaken by God in some sense. Elijah has done what was asked of him, proclaimed the message of the one true God, and yet those who want him dead seem to have the upper hand. His persecutors have the wealth, power, and resources to take his life. For her part, Hagar likewise feels totally abandoned. Abandoned by those who were supposed to care for her. Rejected by those who profess to be followers of the one true God. For both, the psychological and physical distress they are under moves them to desire death. They simply see no way out. No hope. The one hope they have is that the God who gave them their first breath will now make their next their last. And in both cases, the response they draw from God is a definitive yes. A yes not to their deaths, however, but to their lives. Scripture reminds us repeatedly that saying yes to life is who God is as creator. In the 12th chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus teaches us that our God is a God of the living. The first chapter of the book of wisdom tells us that God did not make death and does not delight in the death of the living. And in the 18th chapter of the book of the prophet Ezekiel, we are told that God does not even desire the death of the wicked. Rather, he desires that all might turn toward him and live. Thus, in the first chapter of the book of wisdom, God implores us, Do not invite death by the error of your life, or bring on destruction by the works of your hands. For I have given you life to live, and desire that you live it to its full, as Jesus reveals in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. The absolute and unwavering love that our God has for human life is a message we desperately need to be reminded of today as a society, when both young and old alike feel as though there is no future and no hope for them, and succumb in utter desperation to taking their own lives. The passages mentioned remind us of how displeasing this is to God, but we must ask ourselves an important question. Who is it that God is displeased with? Is it those in despair? Or does God turn a glance toward us and ask, to paraphrase Matthew 25, Where were you? Where were you when I needed you? As surely as these least of mine needed you, I needed you. I needed you to care for me, to feed me, to clothe me, to shelter me, to comfort and console me. To be sure, tragedies such as these happen with no warning sign, and there is absolutely nothing those around can do to prevent it. But, criminally, how often don't they happen with our very consent and assistance as a society? Today, euthanasia is increasingly being promoted as an option for young and old alike. Where are we, fellow Christians? There are untold numbers of people right in our own backyards that need to hear how much God loves them, and their very lives depend upon it. Today, we see God's definitive yes to life given in the lives of Elijah, Hagar, and Ishmael in the face of grave distress and danger. We must continually echo this message in our homes and schools, in our nursing homes and pediatric wards, until everyone knows without a shadow of a doubt that the God who called them into being desires life for them, desires to feed them and shelter them, just as he did for Elijah, Hagar, and Ishmael. In Hagar's case, God provides water and protection, and in the case of Elijah, God gives food, water, and rest. God's tender care in these episodes displays the truth spoken by the psalmist in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Fed and rested, Elijah is summoned by an angel of the Lord 
to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God, living only on what had been supplied to him by God underneath the broom tree. Thus, Elijah survives just as Noah and his family withstood the rains of the flood for 40 days and 40 nights, just as the people of Israel spent 40 years in the desert, eating only the manna and quail provided by God, and just as our Lord lived only by every word that comes from the mouth of God in his 40-day sojourn in the desert. And why does God sustain them in life? The life of Elijah answers back, so that God might encounter them more intimately. Having followed the call of God up the mountain, God tells Elijah in our first reading for today, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Next, Elijah witnesses the power of God's creation, a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces. Then an earthquake was felt, followed by fire. But after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It was there, in the silence, that Elijah encounters God most intimately and was assured that God still had a purpose for him to carry out. Joining once again the motley seafaring crew of disciples amidst the storm, we find something similar take place. The imagery here is beautiful and we would do well to take in as much as we can. As mentioned earlier, the disciples faced the fury of nature just as Elijah had upon the mountain. However, in the case of the disciples, there is no need to traverse up the mountain in order to meet their Lord. Instead, Jesus comes down to them. He who is eternally begotten Son of God in this very moment and in human form is for the disciples the Prince of Peace. Notice that it is in the fourth watch of the night that Jesus comes to them. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 a.m. The time of night has a twofold significance for us. First, it means the disciples had been fighting for their lives all night. And second, Jesus comes to them near dawn. Consequently, in this case, the disciples are historical figures who take on symbolic meaning. Together, they symbolize the human family, who for centuries had struggled in the darkness and chaos of separation from God until the true light appeared, the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, taking on human nature in order to reconcile Creator and created. Yet initially, the disciples are like the rest of the world, who John tells us in his famous prologue, did not recognize its Creator. It is not until Jesus calls to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. It is I, the way, the truth, and the life. It is I am who am. I have promised you time and again I would be with you, and that will never change. Thus, have no fear. My friends, this weekend our God speaks to us of his love and fidelity, wishing to pull us close so that he might whisper to us that he knows the plans he has for each and every single one of us, plans for our welfare and not for harm, to give us each a future with hope. He comes to us amidst the chaos of life and reassures us of his attentive love for us, so attentive and unrelenting that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love he has for us a love which has been expressed most eloquently on the new tree of life, the cross of salvation. Nevertheless, we, like Peter, long for affirmation, long to hear the voice of the shepherd call to us once more, 
And so we cry out to him, Lord, if it is you, if all you say is true, bid me to come to you on the water. Call me to partake in this most glorious adventure that is life by your side. Did Peter really not know? Do we really not know? Or do we all just desperately wish for that miraculous moment to follow Christ wherever he would go, to do things we never dreamed possible? Just as Jesus bids Peter to get out of the boat, so too he calls us to follow him upon the waters. What is required of us is faith. Trust that with God all things are possible. With this faith we can traverse the chaos that surround us, but without it, we will begin to sink, just as Peter did. Today let us pray for the grace-filled virtues of faith and perseverance to walk amidst the storms of life as living sermons who proclaim with every word and action the attentive love of God. With our lives, let us declare to the world the incarnate Son of God has given His life for me because He loves me and I am His. And He's done the same for you because He loves you and you are His. This is the message the world needs to hear. Only this message can accomplish what is impossible for all except God. To transfigure those born from dust and ash into the children of God. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.